This is uh, from the book Stepping Up by Dennis Rainey. It lasted only 20 seconds, but in that short period of time, Jean Red Irwin embodied the courage of an ancient warrior. Jean, called Red by his buddies because of his wavy auburn hair, was part of an 11-man crew on board the city of Los Angeles, a B-29 superfortress. On April 12, 1945, their plane was part of a bombing raid on a Japanese chemical plant in Koryama. One of Red's jobs was to launch white phosphorus smoke bombs to help the other planes on the raid draw a bead and follow a bead on and follow the city of Los Angeles, the lead bomber on the mission. This was Red's 18th mission, so he knew the drill: open the chute, pull the pin, and release the canister. Eight seconds later, the bomb would ignite when well clear of the aircraft. But not this time. For some unknown reason, the first smoke bomb exploded in the drop chute, caroming back into the hole, back into Red's face, white-hot phosphorus burning at 1,300 degrees, blasted smoke throughout the cabin, and raged torturous havoc on Red's eyes and skin. Red was literally on fire, and the entire crew was in danger. The smoke bomb itself was eating through the metal of the bulkhead where the real bombs were stored. There were two options. Watch the fire spread to the other munitions in the bomb bay, or crash into the ocean before everything totally blew up. Or maybe there was a third alternative, if a man had the courage. Grabbing the white-hot canister in his right hand, Red Irwin stumbled to the front of the aircraft, weaving blindly by instinct toward the cockpit window. Suddenly, he collided with the navigator's table that blocked his path to the cockpit. Still afire, he wedged the bomb between his forearm and ribcage, grappling with the spring latch on the table that required both hands to release and lift it. With a last surge of energy, Red scrambled into the cockpit and flung the glowing fireball through the open portal and out into the waiting waters of the Pacific, and then he collapsed in a sizzling heap. By the time the smoke subsided enough for the cockpit panel to become readable again, the instruments confirmed that the plane was a mere 300 feet above the ocean's surface. A few more seconds, and any attempt to pull out of the nosedive would have been too late. Every man on board was saved, but Red Irwin's life hung by a thread. A month after the accident, his body was still smoldering, the phosphorus reigniting from oxygen exposure each time doctors scraped another embedded fleck from his skin. He spent a solid year with his eyes sewn shut and endured more than 40 surgeries. Even with a congressional medal of honor hanging around his neck, he would always bear the limitations or the limitations of a body seared by unimaginable heat. Yet Red Irwin would live to father four children and hold seven grandchildren in his lap. He would also coach little league teams, follow Alabama Crimson Tide football, he didn't do everything right, and go to church on Sundays and retire from a long career with the Veterans Administration. In our fragmented culture, 
even the nature of manhood is an object of debate. What does it mean to be a man? Much of the left views gender identity as a fluid category, while the right is influenced by evolutionary psychologists like Jordan Peterson. It's not really even just a religious debate. About a year ago, the American Humanist Association revoked the Humanist of the Year Award from Richard Dawkins, no Christian, because he tweeted a comparison of a white woman identifying as black um, and compared that to transgenderism. So they revoked his award from over 20 years before. As Christians, it's obviously important to know what the Bible says about issues like that, and even more, that we be able to defend those kind of views. But I submit to you that what is even more important than having prowess on social media platforms is that we embody, like Red did in that moment, that we embody what masculinity is, what godly manhood is to the world around us. That's what the world needs. They don't need us to be able only to defend um, a, a Christian view of human nature. God calls us to take up our cross, follow Jesus, and embody true manhood to the world around us. And so the question is, what does that look like? And that's the question that I'm trying to answer. A lot of times we hear manhood sermons from the New Testament, and a lot of times they're about being a husband and about being a dad, and this is not one of those sermons. This is a manhood sermon about any man, and it actually applies as well to uh, women. Most of the texts that I'm reading are not specifically about men, And even the ones that are, I mean, like, you think about the one, the proverb that says it's better to live on the corner of a housetop than with a contentious wife. Um, Like, obviously, men should not be contentious, and Proverbs hits on men for doing that as well. So even the ones that are specifically about men, many of them apply directly to women, although I am going to be speaking um, to, to the men in the room this morning. I could have chosen a ton of attributes of godly men. So I limited myself, and as you'll see, I didn't limit myself that much. I mean, you heard the scriptures already. Um, Proverbs are supposed to be something that you mull on and think about, and we're covering a whole bunch of them today. So, uh, you know, I hope hope you'll take the time to go back through them and spend time uh, mulling on them like they're meant. Uh, The four attributes that I chose, um, as we've already heard, are that a godly man listens, a godly man speaks, a godly man fights, and a godly man stays. First is a godly man listens. And I think here we already start to see some of the unique perspective that Proverbs brings. When you, when you think about what is a man, you don't typically think about listening, right? But Proverbs is really big on being a person that listens, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Sometimes we're tempted to believe that wise people are the ones that already have it all together. They don't need to learn. 
But the perspective of Proverbs is totally the opposite. It's the fools that think they have it all together. Wise men are the ones that are always constantly learning. They're asking for advice. They're asking for counsel. Should I go to this college or that one? Should I change jobs? A godly man asks others. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is leading to death. This reminds me of the story of Nabal, I don't know how you pronounce his name, Nabal and Abigail. I don't know if you remember the story when David was still on the run from King Saul. Uh, He and his men were all over the, the place, but they were in a certain area where this rich man Nabal whose name literally means fool, um, (laughs) uh, lived, and they protected his shepherds a bunch. And one day they asked, during a feast day, they asked for some food to celebrate the festival. And Nabal wickedly basically said no. He didn't acknowledge that they had been doing favors for him. Um, First Samuel says... Now the name of the man was Nabal, and his name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. And then later on, when uh, one of Nabal's servants, one of the shepherds, was pleading with Abigail to please intercede with David before they all are killed, (laughs) um, this is what the servant says to Abigail. Now therefore know this, and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. A worthless man is someone that you can't speak to because he doesn't listen. A godly man listens to reproof. A rebuke, this is Proverbs 17, 10. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. We've all been called out for bad behavior before. We know the feeling. We know, uh, I, I see myself in my, in my son when he says, but, but dad, but, 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 you know, but this, but that. We have excuses, we have reasons, we have justifications. We, we know why they're wrong and why we already thought of what they're trying to counsel us with and we, we already anticipated it and we have a hundred answers and responses. But Proverbs suggests that a wise man, just one rebuke, he lets it go down deep and he thinks about it. This doesn't mean that you, you know, read all of your negative comments on social media and you take them to heart equally. But it means that um, we listen for the truth that there might be in any correction given. That we're seeking to be more like Jesus. And so we're willing to hear the reproof. And I think of David here. David was obviously very wicked in some parts of his life, uh, most famously with Uriah and Bathsheba. And the prophet Nathan, I think wisely, confronts him in kind of a subversive way. But when, when David is finally made aware, you are the man, that he is being accused of adultery and murder, then he could have had the prophet Nathan killed 
I mean, that's what he did with Uriah, who was a notable person. He didn't have to get down on his knees and confess and repent and fast. He, he did, though. And so uh, David is an example here of being able to be corrected in his wickedness. And this is what a wise man does. Proverbs 19.3, when a man, uh, man's folly brings, way to ruin, brings his way to ruin, his own folly brings his way to ruin, but then his heart, it says his heart rages against the Lord, and we all know people like that, that get angry at God or get angry at others, who everyone except themselves, right? A godly man, a wise man, is someone who takes responsibility for his own foolishness. I'm... I'm part of the problem. Now, this isn't saying there's nothing to the situations that's going on and everything, but, but we own up to our failures is, is uh, I think, what this is teaching. A godly man doesn't just listen, but he listens thoughtfully and carefully. This one always strikes me. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. The point here, if you think about like being in a law room or what I think about of two kids, <laughs> when the first kid says it, oh, okay, that makes sense. And the second kid gives a different perspective on the story and you're like, okay, wait, wait, what's going on here? You know, and the famous story is Solomon. He gets all this wisdom from God and the way that he shows that he has it is he has these, these two prostitutes come to him arguing about... Um, whose baby a child is. And uh, wisdom is being able to listen thoughtfully and carefully, not just to say, okay, you're right. Not just to hear what the first person says and take it to heart. We listen carefully. We don't just immediately speak. You know, if you're listening to a friend share something hard that they're going through, you just listen for a while. You don't just immediately solve it. Which leads us into 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Have you ever thought about that as your goal when your friend's going through a hard time? Your goal is not necessarily to change the purpose of the man's heart that you're listening to or the woman that you're listening to. Your goal is to draw out what is the purpose of their heart here. Maybe by asking questions. Cody's talked about how we all, recently, how we all in the church have pastoral responsibility towards each other. We shepherd each other. We counsel each other. So when we're counseling each other, we can draw out each other's heart by listening well and asking good questions. But even Rehoboam, you remember Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, the one who famously caused the split between the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. He listened to counselors, and he in fact listened to an abundance of counselors. The problem was he listened to the wrong ones, right? So a a godly man listens to the right people. 1320, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. 
I love the humor of Proverbs. You don't want to run into a she-bear robbed of her cubs. It, it, it gives you kind of a vital sense of like, this is really dangerous. If I stay with this fool, my life's in danger. That, that kind of vital sense of like, he could maul me to death with these, these words that seem stupid and, and thoughtless. The mouth of a forbidden woman is a deep pit. Um, I, I chose to stay away from Proverbs 1 to 9, not because I don't like them, I love them, but just to restrain myself a little bit. But uh, obviously, Proverbs 1 to 9 talks about the forbidden woman in great depth and um, is a great lesson for us dads in terms of helping your children anticipate the struggles that they're going to face from women in the future. The mouth of a forbidden woman is a deep pit. Don't believe everything you hear from a woman. Don't we, 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 we cling for and love to be accepted and affirmed because we, we, we want that as men. And, but just because a woman offers that, I think what this is saying is just because a woman offers that to you, just because she makes promises to you doesn't mean that you should run after it. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Wisdom listens to your parents. This is obviously one of the commandments, but it's also just straight old wisdom. Listen to your father and your mom. How do we distinguish wise counselors from foolish counselors? The answer is by spending time in the word. Proverbs thirteen thirteen. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandments will be rewarded not just reveres the commandment, but give, uh, 1620, whoever gives thought to the word. This is what we do in our quiet time. We give thought to the word. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. So point one is a godly man listens. Point two is a godly man speaks. And words are powerful. This is the point of James uh, that he stresses for a long time. And the letter of James, we've all experienced that we can become really helped, be really helped, and be really hurt by words. They can be used to build people up in Christ or to tear them down. And I, uh, I was very impressed as I read through, you know, all of, all of these Proverbs a couple of times. The very, the, one of the most prominent things about our words is that we shouldn't have too many of them. <laughs> uh, a godly man speaks sparsely. What does a wise man sound like? Sometimes silence. Uh, young ladies, as, as we go through this next part, uh, the young ladies in the room... Uh, Proverbs is actually, a lot of it is about being able to choose good friends, but it's also about being able to choose a good spouse, right? It's about being able to choose the right woman or the right man. Um, and so as I read some of these, you know, you might want to think, these are, these are things to dwell on as you're, you're filtering out, you know, the good fish from the bad fish in your, in your future. 
When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. This one is, uh, this next one is, uh, takes some time to, to, to kind of mull over. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and when there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. No wood, the fire goes out. No gossiper, no arguments. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to a fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. No quarrelsome man in the group anymore? No strife. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. A lot of times we can tell a fool because they just don't stop talking. Now, I, I think sometimes, like, you know, coming out, it can come out like people that are talkative are bad. No, this is not what Proverbs is saying. But it is saying that there is a think-before-you-speak aspect to our, to our words that's important. And I think this is funny. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. But generally, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Does, ladies, does the man that you're considering and talking to, does he uh, take pleasure in understanding or only in expressing his opinion? And then finally, uh, the godly man speaks with a purpose, and the purpose is to bring life and peace. So the opposite of bringing strife and causing uh, disagreements and arguments is to bring life and to bring peace. 1225, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Your words, men, your words have the power to make sad people happier. (laughs) That's what Proverbs is saying. You can do that if you try. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Gracious words. Words full of grace, words full of mercy, words full of encouragement are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. There was a time in my life when I was um, uh, really depressed and doubting, and there was a a 60-year-old man that just was just like a dad to me. He just spoke encouragement to me, and it... it, uh, it's what, it's what kept me going. It's what got me through um, his, his gracious words. 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I had this one on my wall in my cubicle when I worked in a call center. A, hard, <laughs> a soft answer turns away. I got a lot of wrath. So uh, the wrath comes in. A soft answer turns it away. <laughs> a harsh word stirs it up. And just imagine for a minute if you were better able to control your words, if you were better able to encourage, if you were better able to sow peace and life with your words, how that would change your relationships in your life. Obviously, this is not just a matter of skill, it's a matter of our hearts. And so ultimately, Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we need to remember that we have to pray for these things to change in our lives. 
Oh, I think I said finally, but it wasn't done. Finally, uh, a godly man speaks appropriately. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. Um, I'm going to skip a little bit here for time. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. The mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. I've heard uh, Paul Tripp say, he's a a Christian counselor and has written a whole bunch of books. Um, I've heard him say that sometimes when he's counseling, he's listening, 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 and he gets towards the end of it and he says, I'm going to have to think on this and pray about this and let's talk about it more next week. So he doesn't even give the answer at the end of the session, right? And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Let me think about that. Okay, sometimes we say, okay, I'm going to pray about this, and that's like an excuse to not, just to drop the conversation, right? But like, what if you just said, I need to think about this. Let me pray for you, and let's talk about this next Tuesday, you know, so you're not just uh, shirking them off. A godly man speaks honestly. Our words have the power to twist things for our own benefit. We can do that. But if we take up the responsibility of loving our neighbor as ourselves, we might be able to do the hard work of truth-telling. I'm going to skip a couple here. Um, It is a snare to say rashly it is holy and to reflect only after making your vows. A lot of people are tempted to make promises quickly. But this is a snare. You need to reflect. You need to count the cost and then make your vow. Make your promises after counting the cost is what that's saying. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Enough said. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I just finished reading a book uh, I, won't, I won't name it because it's got a, uh, some bad stuff in it. But um, uh, a guy, is a, a wise man, is a friend by, uh, by actually punching his friend in the face. He's, his friend is like not even, he has, he has two one-year-old children, and he's not even named them at this point. He's so uh, bereaved at losing his wife that he's just not caring about anyone else in his life, and he's just in this... you know, he's in the slog and he's somber and he's just not paying attention to anyone. His whole world is himself. And, uh, you know, this is kind of literally, uh, you know, putting putting, uh, action to the idea of kind of like um, putting him back where he needs to, back back where he needs to be, like hitting him, um, waking him up, basically. Um, and sometimes it is hard work to say the hard thing, but it's really important if you're going to be a friend that you're, you don't always, you're not always criticizing, but that you're able to say hard things that your, your friend needs to hear or your spouse needs to hear. All right, third point is a godly man fights. A godly man fights. Uh, us men are motivated by fighting an enemy to conquer. But a lot of times, our, the enemy is the other 
people. It's those people out there. But as Christians, we don't fight against a flesh and blood enemy. We fight against sin and the works of Satan. This fighting imagery is not used in Proverbs, but it's used in Romans like 8, 13. It says, if we, by the Holy Spirit, kill sin, put sin to death, by the Spirit we will live. And this is the idea uh, that I'm using in this analogy that we're fighting these things that Proverbs warned us against. The first thing that he fights is laziness. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. One wise uh, woman said, I don't want no scrub. A scrub is a guy that won't get no love from me. That was a joke. There was a, is a song. So the, uh, <laughs> the idea is that if we're, if we're not working hard, then we're not going to get anything out of it. And we shouldn't uh, be, you know, dating or hanging out with people that don't work. If they're not able to work, they're not going anywhere in their life. It's not saying that you can't not know where your life is going, you know, right now, or know everything out in advance. It's just saying that you're somebody who's willing to work. If you don't plow in the autumn, there's not going to be any harvest in the fall. Or next year, in the summer. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. I love this because, you know, most of us are not pastors here. And this gives dignity. This, uh, this is the Protestant view. Our work is important. A man skillful in his work will stand before kings. Do your work, men, with excellence. Be proud of the work that you did last week. Be hardworking. And if you are a husband or a dad, when you get home from a hard day of work, be hardworking to love your family well and to lead them well, spiritually and emotionally, when you get home. Okay, let's keep moving on. A godly man fights lust and sin. In Titus 2, Paul tells older men do this, and he lists off six different things. uh, He says, older women do this, and so train younger women. And then he gets to younger men, and he has one one thing for younger men. Like, okay, I'm going to make it real simple for you guys. Here it is. (laughs) Softball pitch. Self control. That's the one thing that he says to younger men. It's part of the long list of things for older men, but one thing for younger men. And if you've been a young man before, then you know you need it. One thing for younger men self control. Why? Well, Proverbs 27 20 says this Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied. And never satisfied are the eyes of man. We have this longing and this lust in our heart that we're always wanting more. We're not satisfied with where we're at. And it is a, it's a good thing. It drives us. It's ambition, right? But it's also something that can get us caught. It's also something that can lead us to not be satisfied where we need to be satisfied. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. 
Imagine the importance, I mean, you, the whole book of Nehemiah is about walls. Imagine the importance of walls in those times, right? You don't have walls, then enemies come in and attack. They make fun, like uh, the people in Nehemiah are made fun of. They're, they're joked about because their city doesn't have any walls. A man without self-control is like that. He's vulnerable. He's going to just say whatever comes to his mind. He's just going to do whatever he wants to in the moment. He's like a city broken into and left without walls. Some of these things are hard, and I know as a man that we struggle with them. We, it's, it's, not without, uh, it's not thoughtlessly that Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is required for us to grow in self-control. We need God's work in our life. We need the Holy Spirit. The godly man fights anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit spirit better than he who takes the city. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Obviously, not every offense that's done against you is going to be equal, but we should try to overlook the ones that we can. Some we're going to need to give the good wounds of a friend to initiate reconciliation. But if we can, we should overlook offense and not repeat a matter. We should definitely not just repeat the matter. Once we've forgiven them, forgiveness is a promise. I'm not going to bring this back up over and over and over again. All right, I'm going to uh, just read a couple texts from Injustice and Poverty. I I was uh, almost blown away by... How many passages say that we need to be thinking about the poor and those who are um, who uh, have injustice committed against them? Um, I'll just read a couple. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. You mock a poor person, you're insulting his maker. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Last point, a godly man stays. There's a lot of sermons we've heard from Proverbs on the Proverbs 31 woman. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. And a lot of people don't even realize this is one of the most important verses in Proverbs to me. Proverbs 20. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. It's hard to find the Proverbs 31 woman, but it's also hard to find the Proverbs 20 man. It's not hard to find a man proclaiming steadfast love, but where's the man who will love steadfastly, the faithful man? It's not an accident that boyfriends love to say, I'll always love you, right? They know that that gets into the heart of the girl. It's, marriage is not just 
a promise, I love you now. It's a promise, I will always love you. I will love you and be faithful to you forever. And that promise is easy to make if you're just using words. But a faithful man, who can find? And yet, 1922 says, What is desired in a man is steadfast love. That's what friends want. That's what women want, is a steadfast love. It's not going anywhere. It's just going to stick right here through the hard times. And it's not just about marriage either. A friend loves at all times, but a, and a brother is born for adversity. It's about friendship. Are you just going to be there through the thick and the thin of life with your friend? I'm going to wrap things up. John's Gospel introduces the Last Supper in this way. He says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, this is the phrase, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved his disciples during his ministry with them. He loved them well. He served them by teaching them. He cared for them. His work on the cross was an extension of that. His washing of their feet was an extension of that. He loved them to the end. Right? And this is what Paul calls husbands to do. To love your wife um, like Christ loved the church, even to death. Jesus loved them to the end, and he loves, loves us to the end. Jesus was the wise man that we all need to be. Colossians 2, 3, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Like Nathan rebuked David, Jesus rebuked the religious leadership of his day, but they did not repent like David did. Instead, they killed him. And Jesus didn't fight back. And maybe this was foolishness. Corinthians says, To the Greeks, this is foolishness, but to us who are called, it was the wisdom, the cross of Christ that we preach, is the wisdom and power of God. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues. No one's even following them, but they're running away. But the righteous are bold as a lion. And so, men of the church, I'm speaking to us today. I call us to boldly take up our cross and follow Jesus. I call us to lay down our lives loving our neighbor as ourselves to be responsible, to be hardworking. We might not ever make the split-second costly decision that Red Irwin had to make by picking up that bomb, but we still have to make the daily decision of sacrificial love by listening well, by speaking well, by fighting the sin within us, and by fighting injustice, and by staying So let's pray now for God's Spirit to cultivate that wisdom, love, and boldness in our hearts so that we can be the godly men that our world needs. Father, we need you 
we fall short of this. We see that Jesus is the wise man, and we hear him say that all who follow and obey his teaching are like the wise men who build their house on the rock. But often it seems like we are the foolish man who's listening to his teaching but not obeying. We pray that you would give us wisdom. We pray that you would change our hearts, that you would give us self-control, that you would give us the ability to shut our mouths and listen, that you would give us the ability to speak words that build up and do not tear down. We pray that you would give us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We pray that we would reflect Christ to a world that needs him, not just by winning arguments, but by displaying his glory and his brightness in our own character. And we know that we need you for that, so we pray for your work. In Jesus' name, amen.